0: Hello and welcome to CCTV's Channel 17 and Town Meeting Television. I'm Matt Kelly with another in our live candidate forums for Town Meeting 2020. I'm pleased to be joined at the table this evening by Burlington City Council Ward 5 candidates William Chip Mason, as well as Nate, Nathan Lantieri. Or I should say Nathan Nate Lantieri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll refer to them both as Chip and Nate. Our uh, format for this evening is a simple question-and-answer forum. We invite you, the listeners, to dial on in if you have a question uh, directly of either candidates. That forum number to dial in on is 862-3966. Our questions have been pre-selected so both candidates know the questions ahead of time. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. It's a pleasure to have you at the table and thank you for your willingness to serve our city yeah, thank you. Our first question is, why are you running and what qualifies you
1: for the position? And Nate, we'll begin with you. Sure. Um, so I'll start with the second part, uh, a little bit about my background. I've been in Burlington for about five years now, and um, in that time, I kind of I come from a uh, community planning and community visioning background. Um, I've done projects in Burlington as well as throughout the state of Vermont in different communities. And uh, most recently, I spent some time actually working for the city. I was working uh, downtown in, in some data management, understanding the economic health of our city. And from that experience, I saw a lot of things that I really liked, you know, a lot of great work being done by the people that work in the technical side of our government. But I also saw a lot of things that I disagreed with, most specifically, looking at uh, what voices were empowered in the conversation and the reverse of that of which voices were being excluded and to what detriment that might have had. So I think a lot about what I, uh, in terms of why I'm running. I think a lot about um, my love for Burlington, and you know, I, I would say the same is probably tra- same for Chip as well. Um, and in the time, I've spent a lot of uh, time thinking about where that love comes from and what makes Burlington such a special place, and where that vitality comes from. And the conclusion that I've come to is that what really makes Burlington a special place is the people that live here. You know, so often. Uh, their views and their vision for the future is to create a community that's just, that's equitable, that's empowering individuals no matter what their background is, their socioeconomic status, um, and that they're able to feel like they can excel and be contributing members of this community regardless of who they know or how much money they have. And I think in the past few years we've seen some decisions made that um, are not in support of this vision of the future of Burlington. the, uh, we've seen somewhat of a shift in priorities away from that, where the vision of the city is not so much to empower us from the bottom up, but instead we are um, you know, bringing developers, the largest landlords, the most influential in the business community to the table, whereas the people, have someone had to take a back seat. All the while, wealth inequality continues to rise, affordable housing is scarce, um, and there's a growing sense that Our government is really not listening to the views of the people and the needs of those that are working class um, and that are looking to live here for the future. So that's why I'm running to really be a voice for the people that have felt like uh, they don't have the means to be active members. And I think that together we can really realign the values of our city government with that of the people and and move to a better place moving forward. Very good. And Chip Mason, your reason for returning to the city council and
0: uh, uh, what qualifies you to, to return?
2: Thank you for the question, Matt, Um, and thank you to the viewers uh, who are either watching live or those who will catch this on a tape delay. Um, I'm running, uh, basically, to continue, I think, the issues that I hear most about and that I care deeply about, uh, including affordability, affordable housing, uh, completing major uh, infrastructure projects. We're in the midst of quite a few of them at this point in time, including Champlain Parkway, City Place, Moran, Memorial, um, and also to continue to look out for Lake Champlain. Uh, As far as what qualifies me, I I will agree with Nate that we won't have a competition over who loves Burlington more. (laughs) Um, I think anyone that that volunteers, in essence, for this position uh, does have a deep and abiding love for the city of Burlington and is looking to do what's best. Uh, I respect and heard from Nate we might have a disagreement or differing views in terms of who we represent and whose voices are heard. Um, But as far as my qualifications, uh, I'm a lifelong Burlington resident who was born, uh, attended Burlington Public Schools, graduated from UVM. Um, I left for a brief period to get my graduate degree, but then moved back to Burlington uh, 20 plus years ago. Currently, I am an owner of a law firm in downtown Burlington um, with over 50 employees. So I'm pretty, uh, hear a lot from our employees about what they like and don't like about the city of Burlington. Um, I've lived in the South End for over 20 years since since I moved back um, and have been an integral part of the community since then. Serving as a volunteer on numerous nonprofit boards, uh, coach of my children's sports teams as they grew up, um, and more recently, as sort of uh, on different boards and commissions at the city level, before finally serving as a city councilor for the past um, eight years. Uh, DURING THAT TENURE I'VE SERVED AS THE CHAIR OF THE ORDINANCE COMMITTEE um, WHICH HAS REALLY BEEN SORT OF IN THE LEAD OF ADDRESSING SOME OF THE CHANGES THAT ARE NECESSARY IN ORDER TO IMPLEMENT THE ISSUES I THINK NATE AND I BOTH FEEL VERY PASSIONATELY ABOUT. so I, I feel that you know that experience uh, it does uniquely qualify me to continue to serve in this position.
0: Very good. Uh, gentlemen, thank you both. We have uh, plenty of questions uh, coming in from our uh, audience. Again, that number to dial in is 862-3966, and we'll go to caller one right now. Caller, you're live on the air with both uh, Chip Mason and Nate Glantieri. Do you have a question for both or either candidates?
2: Um, I wanted to know um, how they plan to
0: manage public assets, the question for, ha- Nate, for Nate, well it could be for both of them, okay. and manage public assets. Okay. Thank you, caller. Uh, the question was how to manage public assets going forward, assets. Nate. Uh, the question was specifically to you, so we'll begin with you, and Chip, you have an opportunity sure. to uh, follow up.
1: Sure. thing, yeah. Um, I think that public assets are really, um, you know, in my opinion, uh, we have a lot of really great things in this city, um, both in our built infrastructure and in our natural uh, environment as well. And the way that I've seen is is that, um, as assets move into the private realm, it seems very unlikely that they will ever ever become public again. So, you know, we're looking at this in a lot of different ways. We're looking at the future of Memorial Auditorium, you know, looking back on the Burlington Telecom issue. We're looking back on, um, looking, yeah, back on the uh, proposed change to the uh, makeup of the downtown with the Downtown Improvement District. And what would have taken a public uh, a city department, the one that I actually worked for, and uh, moved it into the private realm. And the thing about public assets is that when they are maintained by the city, we are always sure that their usage is going to be for the public benefit, that they will always be accountable to the people of the city. What we're looking at is that if we privatize these resources, even in terms of you know selling land or, or changing charters to how we're actually running them. Um, We move them into the private sector, and we lose that accountability towards uh, making sure that they will continue to be used for the public benefit. Um, So I am someone that believes that, um, you know, we hold on tight to these public assets. We look at ways that we can, um, you know, differently manage them, use different funding sources, but no matter what, keeping them in the public realm to make sure that the people of this city are the ones that are being um, benefited the most by their by
0: their use. Uh, uh, Chip, your sure. follow-up uh, to that question. Uh, what sure. is the role of the public assets and what will you do to protect them?
2: Sure. Um, I want to thank Carolyn Bates for that question. I um, Carolyn. I've had lots of discussions with her about all of the issues that Nate has arisen. Um, I think, in part, I would push back a little bit on mm-hmm. Nate's characterization. I think it reflects uh, a misunderstanding of some of the legal and uh, contractual Um, matters we were dealing, particularly as it relates to Burlington Telecom, um, most residents know that we didn't own the assets that constituted Burlington Telecom. We were leasing assets from Citibank. We breached our contract and they had commenced a suit for 30 plus million dollars in order to get those back. We didn't own those assets. We were able, through the context of the council, coupled with council and the administration, to insert ourselves into a sale process and manage it in order to ensure we got a price that we were comfortable with, maximize the return to the taxpayers, and also ensure that there was a competitor and not a monopoly system. So that was really where the start of this somehow privatization of public assets started, and I pushed back on the assertion that that was a privatization. Um, As to Memorial Auditorium, no question. Uh, The concept currently under discussion is no longer a privatization. We've gone out with an RFP, We've unfortunately received only one submission in terms of, and and the RFP was to manage the asset. Again, the city is moving in a direction not of selling Memorial Auditorium. Any assertions, you know, to the contrary are simply false. As far as the DID, you know, that was, and Nate and I can have a logistical, you know, policy discussion over DID, um, but the notion of privatization was something that got pushed by opponents at the very end. I think there should be an acknowledgement that the Church Street Commission as it currently exists does not function. Something does need to change. Whether it's the DID or something short of DID, I I admit that's that's a good policy discussion. But I don't believe that that is a privatization of city assets. There was no notion of privatization asserted there. The city was going to continue to plow the streets, take care of the sidewalks and do the like. So that made for a good campaign slogan, but I pushed back on the notion that that constituted privatization.
0: Okay, uh, We're going to come back to this sure. uh, uh, subject because I do want to talk specifically about Moran. It is a particular yes. of interest to me myself as well. But we do have uh, callers Great. waiting on the line to ask questions here. Uh, so we'll go to this uh, right now. Caller, you're uh, live on the air with uh, Chip Mason and Nate Lantieri of Ward 5 City Council Race. Uh, do you have a question for either candidate or for both candidates?
3: I I do uh, for both candidates and thank you for taking my call um, and thank you to both candidates for throwing your names in the ring for this, this incredibly important time in our city um, I I care about the livable wage I care about people being able to get by in the city uh, on their on their own labor so I think talking about the livable wage I won't waste your time but I think it's important to provide a little context before I ask my question the livable wage assumes a forty-hour work week, which I'm, I'm reading from Inc. magazine. That's an entrepreneurial magazine.
0: Caller, I appreciate uh, this. Can you get right to your question? We've got a number of callers right behind you. What is your question, please?
3: Sure, Matt. Presuming that we actually did have a forty-hour work week in America, which we don't, we have more than that. What would a livable wage amount to in order to afford market-rate housing mm. here in Burlington, Vermont?
0: Very good question. Thank you, caller. The question was about a 40 hour work week, a livable wage to afford market rate housing in the city of Burlington. And Chip Mason, we'll begin with you. Uh, longtime member of the city council, this is a big issue.
2: Yes, it certainly is. Um, I have to confess I'm not an economist and I'm not. I don't know that I would be capable of calculating what a livable wage is. What I can assert is we do have a living wage ordinance on our books that we tweaked about five years ago. That is a very complicated formula that Doug Hoffer, uh, the state uh, mm-hmm. act- auditor, does compute. I believe it's currently $15.86. And I do know that we have hit, you know, and, and there's a metric. It includes food, housing, all of which go into that. Um, and we have hit for the first time, um, historically it was an artificially set and that you know, the index never got up to that number. We finally have hit the place where the number aligns with the bottom. Um, our livable wage ordinance uh, currently applies to anyone that does contracting, you know, all city employees uh, with some minor exception, and, uh, seasonal that work for Parks and Rec, um, as well as anyone that contracts. We, five years ago, recognizing that it was being very poorly enforced really stepped up, you know, added enforcement mechanism, reporting to the city attorney's office, audit rights, and by all reports, it seems to be working better. I do respect and appreciate and support uh, a a higher, unfortunately, I think the governor's about to veto it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, moving forward with that at a statewide level. I have concerns based on what I've heard of imposing, you know, a higher wage across the board just in the city of Burlington.
0: I'll, I have questions, but I'll uh, defer here to <laughs> Nate Lantier to follow up on a livable wage sure. for the city. What constitutes it given uh, what is a 40-hour work week and how that has uh, disappeared <clears throat> in our current paradigm uh, and what is considered market rate affordability in the city of Burlington today?
1: Sure thing, yeah. Um, I think it's a really important thing that we uh, look at this issue not just from um City jobs in particular, but what the city is doing in order to create jobs and uh, promote the uh, concept of livable wage work outside of just the purview of what city jobs are available. Um, I think that our economic development model for the past few years has really been this top-down model that has, um, you know, focused on, you know, while the tax base is incredibly important and retail is incredibly important, that we've really focused on the creation of service sector jobs that with the minimum wage as it currently is at about $11 here, um, you would have to work about 120 hours a week to be able to afford um, at that federally mandated 30% of your income level to a single bedroom apartment at that market rate. to me that's not affordable, to many that's not affordable. And kind of going back to what the caller said about a 40-hour work week, that pretty much is diametrically opposed to that concept. So really I think that we need to look at this as, a, as an economic development issue. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we address the growing wealth inequality from what we can do? And I think really what that is is reinvigorating CETO to be a force that, um, you know, I read a quote a little while ago that said CEDO's driving force at one time was what's in it for the little guy? And um, you know they were doing things to lower barriers for entry into fields that were historically underrepresented um, as well as the creative fields working collectively to um, you know build this up from the bottom using different models, using collective models to uh, make it so that people were able to make a livable wage for themselves. Um, economic development is really important to me and um, I think that we can do a lot more. Um, by incentivizing cooperatives, by you know branching out to organizations that are doing that, such as you know in our district we have Resource Generator. We're based out of a co-working plant uh, space in the Soda Plant. Um, you know, reaching out to those, saying how can we uh, you know cr- use this model moving forward, as well as uh, you know some avenues for job training and the building of the next you know green economy. Talking to people about weatherization, organizations that are doing that. There currently are not enough workers that could actually move forward in terms of weatherization and building green infrastructure moving forward. Um, so using that, uh, branching out further, making partnerships that can uh, you know, promote this kind of work moving forward is really important to me. Great. Uh, we're moving right along here to our next caller. Uh,
0: live on the air, you're uh, uh, speaking with uh, city council candidates Chip Mason and Nate Lantieri from Ward 5. Caller, do you have a question?
3: Uh, yeah, hi. Um, uh, as a renter, uh, two of my main concerns are uh, rising rents and the lack of code inspections. And I was wondering how each candidate uh, will address these concerns as, uh, well, what else uh, they will do specifically for renters in in Burlington.
0: Thank you, uh, Caller. Uh, I actually want to speak to that a little bit as well, only because of rising rents and code uh, uh, enforcement, as he spoke about. What seems to me as a renter here in the city of Burlington is uh, the noise ordinance in that there doesn't seem to be any... uh, Ordinance for sound batting between apartments, um, and that is a public health issue. I know I'm not the only uh, uh, renter that suffers from this, and this seems to be an issue in a lot of current buildings that have uh, recently come uh, on the market here. So, affordability for renters as well as code enforcement, and we'll begin with you, Nate Lantieri.
1: Sure, yeah, Um, and and this goes, you know, tying back to what we were just saying that, you know, the market rate for a one unit apartment in Burlington right now is $1,200, which is a a really inaccessible price for a lot of people. and meanwhile, we're looking at this affordable housing conversation and the folks who are empowered, the stakeholders that um, have an ear currently in the conversation are, you know, the top, the, the developers, landlords, and there really hasn't been a, a meaningful way for tenants to share their input um, at that real, like, structural level of, So do you support the
0: tenants union that's been bandied about uh, forming here in the city of Burlington?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, looking at how our voice is heard um, because of the way that, uh, you know, working class people who are, you know, a lot of renters are working class people and the time that they have, it gets harder and harder for one individual to be able to share their opinions with the powers that be, whether it be their landlord or whether it be the city, whether it be the housing board of review uh, or court enforcement. And, um, you know, I think that creating a collective that can be a voice for those people and then use, you use their collective power to, you know, make some bargaining and make their, uh, you know, desires heard at the city level is a really important thing. And code enforcement is an important part of that. You know, I've talked to so many renters that say, my heating bill this this winter was was $500 a month, and that's incredibly incredibly uh, hard for renters, especially when you're living paycheck to paycheck. And it's also bad for our climate moving forward. That. Um, they're forced to, you know, fossil fuels are just going out the window. and uh,
0: So, thank you. Chip, we'll move on to you here, and I'm actually gonna kind of be a little bit more pointed here. The caller was specifically asking about affordability and code enforcement here. But are we sort of in a a mindless trap that just keeps spiraling and spiraling when we talk about affordability for a renter? Why aren't we getting these lower income individuals into home ownership? This whole 600, 700 unit development that that went on uh, over uh, on North Avenue at what used to be the orphanage could have been $85,000 one-unit, one-bedroom apartments uh, as a stepping stone to the future of uh, income security in the city. Why isn't the city council insisting that for every new development, or even getting into this new development as the developer itself, to ensure that this uh, moves forward for its city residents.
2: So you lost me on the last part of that question. Why isn't the city moving forward as a developer itself? <laughs> or leaving, a leaving, leaving aside question, that, let me let me answer that by telling you what, what has happened as it relates to inclusionary zoning, which is really the city's um, tool, or the biggest tool that it has in order to support affordable housing at the low end. So um, through a combination of progressives, Democrats, and administration, uh, we started uh, multiple years ago as part of a housing study um, looking at the number of IZ units that had been built. And unfortunately, the results were dismal um there were you know very minimal iz units being built um and again those inclusionary zoning and those are tied to you know percentage of area medium income and and restrict in essence the rent that could be charged um so we started what was turned out to be a multi-year process in terms of looking at bringing both you know housing advocates cht and developers to the table to say why is housing you know why is there not you know, a greater percentage of IZ units being built, and what tools do we need in order to incentivize that? We did come forward with a, a slate of proposal that had um, bipartisan—I won't say bipartisan because we've independence—but you know, near unanimous council approval, um, and that did make tweaks that just passed. Mm-hmm. So we have not seen you know the trickle down of what that does still require, depending on how many units are being built, that 15 or 10 percent of all new developments over five or 10, you know, do include IZ units. But again, I, the we question. tweaked. No, but let me let's get to that. Like, it is going to take some time. Part of the affordability thing requires the addition, from my perspective, the addition of housing stock. City place, if constructed, we negotiated, you know, above and beyond the eyes unit.
0: Own, is that home ownership, though, of these units? We,
2: we because, do not again, have the, the ability as a city to demand that they, they market or then make them home owned. Okay. I mean, I, I wish I had a tool. So the problem, though, Matt, is if you go in that direction, what we've seen is nothing gets built.
0: And and there again becomes the problem that here we're stuck in that a market rate was one thousand fifty. Next year it's going to be eleven hundred. The next year after that it's twelve hundred. And I don't know about other city residents who are renters that continue to want to spend twelve hundred So let's, let's have, have a conversation about what goes in. What what
2: why is your rent? In, why is the rent twelve hundred bucks? And there it is. So seventy well, percent of you. You know what? Yes. What is, taxes, yes. I think what, it's is taxes. what is seventy percent of your tax? Taxes is probably the education tax. Seventy percent.
0: Right. 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 So, and we only have a few minutes left. well here. my and this point gets is, back to: uh, Do you support then the F- uh, FY21 Burlington school budget up three point five million dollars for a tax increase of three point nine percent, three point nine six percent? And that's just the school tax. Not to mention the city tax. I mean, it just seems to be this escalating uh, cost to the city residents, many who are the most vulnerable can afford it, who are renters, who are getting that tax passed on to them from the rental owners. And the solution to me seems that we get these renters into home ownership. But that's me proselytizing. We don't have a lot of time left, so we'll ask for some final comments on this issue. Then we'll ask for final comments from both our, our candidates. So uh, Nate, we'll ask you to follow
1: sure. up, and then we'll ask Chip sure. to again uh, tie up this issue for Thank us. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Um, so looking at the uh, you know uh, concept of raising the tax uh, specifically for school funding, um, you know I am in support of it. I think that you know talking about economic justice, the best way to move um, to move out of poverty is through good schooling and through the access uh, to resources through that. It's a real shame, you know, kind of what you were just saying that the there has been contention in between home ownership and education as a concept in this city and in this state. And I, I think that, you know, really what we need to look at is how can we, uh, from a state level perspective, what can we do to make some changes to the way um, schooling is funded currently? Um, you know we know it doesn't work here we know that there are people that you know especially new Americans in our community that are not receiving the education that um, is allowing them to move forward and uh, you know move into some economic security um, so I really think that we need to from the state level consider you know what this is you know maybe property taxes isn't the right funding model um, but You know, I I do want to say that I I do support the schools and and the teachers and I believe in the work that they do.
0: Uh, Chip, uh, so just to wrap up the question again, it was about affordability for renters, code enforcement, but then it uh, it devolved into again the property tax and the school budget. So it's all tied in together. Yes. So just uh, wrap it up for us uh, before final statement.
2: I wish I had a simple solution. I mean, the answer is I do support, I am supporting the the school budget as it's going forward. I do recognize the constraints that this puts on taxpayers. Um, I have worked in my role as city council or counselor to try and build in efficiencies, work with the school department as much as we can, I still think there's a little more. Um, school departments a little bit out of the crisis that they were in um, with a new superintendent. I'm optimistic that we can find additional efficiencies. Um, but the reality is, and, and it, actually, I looked at your numbers are even off. I mean, I yeah. think it's it's worse yeah. than it's you thought. Seven, you know, on yeah. an average home, this tax increase, which is a state, you know, I mean, I, I give the board credit. They cut. Where you know, yeah. no one wanted to cut. They cut. Um, it's still a, almost a $350 increase on the average homeowner. That is not sustainable. Yeah. And I agree with Nate that you know uh, we're not going to fix that at the at, at city at the city level. It requires state adjustment. Um, a study just came out. Council recently passed this. I was a co-sponsor of saying the formula is messed up. It's been messed up for 20 years. Burlington's getting um, not compensated adequately given its population. And I hope the legislature takes that up.
0: All right. Time for our final statements from our candidates. Uh, we ask that you try to keep it at a minute each, as we are running late on time. And we'll start with you, Nate. Your final statement.
1: Sure. Um, you know, I have a strong belief that Burlington can be a place that everybody should be able to afford their housing. They should be able to find a job that can pay for that. And at the end of the day, they should be able to come back and be a part of this vibrant community that you know so many of us love. Um, I think that there are ways to get there. I really do. And I think that uh, progressive change is a really important part of that. You know we've seen where the past few years have gotten us. We have a hole in the downtown that's you know moving people away from our city um, in terms of tourists, visitors, people in the local community that, Um, no longer think that Burlington is a place for them, I've talked to hundreds of people so far, many of our neighbors, and they say that five years from now, whether it's a young person, a person with a young family, an older person who has been here for a lot of years and, you know, renters, homeowners, um, you know, fifth generation Vermonter, new American, they're saying that Burlington five years from now may not be a community from them. And I think that the solutions that we have chosen in the past few years are somewhat of Band-Aids being slapped on it without really getting at the issue of this growing wealth inequality that we have in our city and we're seeing across the country. And I think that we need to take bold steps to make that happen. I believe we can do it, and, uh, you know, but we need to do it together, and uh, I would uh, ask anybody who's watching this and agrees with that to you know, join the team and start talking to your neighbors as well. Thank you.
0: Very good. Uh, Chip, your final statement. Great.
1: Um, thank you, Matt, for moderating. Thank you also to the
2: callers who dialed in, and thank you, Nate, for yep. participating. Um, as I start my reelection campaign, um, I hear some of the very same concerns and issues. We're knocking on the same doors, hearing the same questions and concerns about housing affordability. Can I stay? Um, I respectfully disagree that, you know, we've been putting band-aids on. I, I think we are making um, positive change, whether it's through, you know, the housing summit and the reforms that are, we're working through relating to adding ex- or facilitating uh, a- accessory dwelling units, um, short, you know, trying to tackle once and for all short-term rentals, addressing parking minimums in the downtown. Those are all changes that I think are integral and will start to move the needle Those coupled with, you know, the the changes that we have shepherded and spearheaded in terms of uh, form-based code in the downtown all are designed to incentivize infill development, which is all we have left. There are no more green spaces in the city of Burlington. So I I believe that, you know, continuing to add housing stock coupled with the other uh, reforms that we're addressing will start to bend the curve. I will continue to work on the education piece, which again is 70% of our budget that the city council has nothing to do with. Um, But I will continue to lead my efforts in that regard. Um, If you have additional questions about my platform or concerns, please call me at 802-373-8545 or visit my website, which is www.votechipmason.com. Thank you.
0: My thanks to uh, both our candidates for joining us uh, here this evening, Chip Mason and Nate Lantieri. It takes a lot of courage to uh, go door-to-door and put your name on a ballot and to be uh, here at the table to face the firing round. Uh, We thank you for watching. It's very easy for you to participate. All you have to do now is show up and vote on Tuesday, March 3rd. You can also call your local town clerk and early vote by requesting a ballot, completing the ballot, and mailing the ballot. And then join us for complete election night coverage, Tuesday, March 3rd, Town Meeting 2020. Election night coverage begins at 7 p.m. right here on Channel 17. For all of us at CCTV, I'm Matt Kelly. Thank you for watching.